0: So we'll go to Matthew chapter 2, if you would, with me. I'd love that. I appreciate that. Look at the text that Corey read for us a few minutes ago. Familiar story, perhaps. Sometimes familiar stories, though, can become so familiar that we... Well, you know how some, sometimes, especially, I think, with, sometimes with Christmas stories, they can become such a part of the public consciousness that the story that we tell... Maybe in December is a little bit different from what the story actually was, you know, in the text. So sometimes we see that. And I want to point out a couple of things here, perhaps, uh, that will help us to read the story maybe in a little bit a healthier way. We're glad you're here. And uh, I don't know what the season of year means to you. Maybe it means open up gifts on Christmas morning, maybe. Uh, I don't know if it means family and friends, maybe. Maybe it means getting some time off from work, maybe it is a break from school, maybe it is thinking about Jesus, maybe it's a loss that you've experienced in this year or in past years that, make, that kind of makes this, this season a hard one for you. I don't know what the time of year means for you, but I hope that today maybe all of us can collectively, individually as well, go back and read this beautiful story in a way that will help us, in a way that maybe, maybe God will use this familiar story to challenge us and to shape us and to help us as we get ready to start another year, to start it with a fresh emphasis on what really matters. I would be thrilled if all of us would commit ourselves to letting this season be more than just consuming more things but rather that we could be directed back to the purpose for which we were created, and that is to bow down and worship Jesus Christ, as Mervis just said in his thoughts prior to communion. Matthew chapter 2, as you know from our reading this morning, is about something that happened in the life of Jesus, the early life of Jesus. After his birth, which we read about, or you've read about in Matthew 1, the background of the story is, of course, in Matthew 1, when Matthew's telling us the story, this beautiful narrative about the birth of Jesus, he goes back to Isaiah 7, and he says that Isaiah, though he may have been talking about something in his own days, some 700 years before Christ, he was actually looking ahead, though he may not even understood, have understood what he was doing. He was, in some sense, looking ahead to a young lady, unmarried, never been with a man, who would miraculously conceive a child, and that conception would be the ultimate fulfillment of what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah seven fourteen, when he said that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. They'd call his name Emmanuel. Matthew tells us that in Matthew 1. So many beautiful things here. Emmanuel is a word that means God with us. And for those of us who believe that this story is true, we believe that when that little baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was, though vulnerable and though he entered the world as every other baby ever did, there was something special about him. His conception was miraculous. He was, to use maybe a little bit more of a theological kind of word, he, this was the incarnation. This was the God becoming a human being moment. This is a remarkable thing that when, when Jesus was born, that that was God in all of the beauty and the ugliness of birth. You know? Beautiful moment, but an ugly moment in some ways. The birth of Jesus. A beautiful thing, and yet a very human thing. And so it, it set the trajectory for the life of Jesus where he would exhibit in his life, in his body, this Perfect union of both Godness and humanness. And so he was born in a very human way, and yet he was conceived in a miraculous way. He would live in a very human way, and yet he would do very divine things that nobody ever had done before, and nobody would ever do again. And so you've, this is the incarnation. This is the God-human being, beautiful union that causes you and me to come here together today and worship him and fall down before him and say... You are our Lord. Help us to believe that again and again and again. So Matthew 1 tells us about that. Matthew 2 took place sometime after that. Most, most scholars, uh, you, you may have heard this before, I don't know. We think about it some maybe, but most scholars believe this is not when Jesus was an infant lying in a manger. Matthew 2, the wise men coming to him. wasn't Probably wasn't at that same time. This is sometime later, probably. The word that's used here when it when it talks about, in this text, uh, uses a word that that sometimes can refer to a baby. More often it refers to what we would call a toddler. Jesus is probably on into his toddler time, maybe 18 months old, maybe a little bit around, a little bit closer to the age of two. We would think of Jesus as probably a little bit older here based on you combine this narrative with Mark with well especially with Luke and and you'll get some clues here that this is sometime after the the manger scene you know the birth of Jesus scene that Matthew tells us a little bit about that Luke really explores for us in the first couple of chapters of his gospel but this probably happened when Jesus was a little child the first part of our story here, the first part of of Matthew's telling of this post-birth, you know, this early toddler year time of Jesus, he tells us about the Magi, the wise men. First part of the chapter, I want to go back and refer to this. Corey read it for us a few minutes ago, so I'm not going to read all of this for you again, but but I want you to notice a couple of things. This says in verse 1, Matthew 2:1, that wise men came from the east, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and they said you know we've we've heard of it it's, a, it's it's an interesting thing here about the birth of Jesus you know so many things so we're not going to look at Luke's account this morning but things about his birth have a lot of implications for us today most of us maybe all of us are not jewish ethnically we're gentiles and and the birth of Jesus you remember the shepherds the shepherds were they were considered to be the lowest of people they were they were they weren't this this i don't know this kind of this sentimental image that you and i have of shepherds perhaps they were they were a rough crowd you know the magi these wise people were not jewish they were gentiles and so it's interesting that god chose to announce the king of the jews here he chose to announce that through these wise people from the east they were gentiles we don't know exactly how they heard about this they're they may have picked up on it. It seems as if they had. They picked up on some hints from the Old Testament, being familiar with Jewish culture and with the Jewish writings. I think God, of course, was working miraculously among the wise men, but they knew about the star. There are references in the Old Testament to the star of Bethlehem. Maybe they had picked up on some of those, and God had miraculously led them them to, to this moment where they knew that something special is happening among the Jewish population, that there's going to be born one who's going to become the king. And so these wise men, they come. We, they saw his star rise. We've come to worship him. You've got the story here about Herod the king. Herod was an awful person. Uh, he was, this is Herod the Great. He's, he's going to die before long. And as far as the story goes, you know, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to go down to Egypt, going to come back after Herod dies. But Herod had was part Jewish ethnically, But his main God was power. He wanted to be in power. And so, so many of the things that Herod did in conjunction with the birth of Jesus and after the birth of Jesus and prior to the birth of Jesus had to do with with making sure that he stayed in power. This is Herod. If you've read any about this outside of Scripture, this is the same Herod. He had ten wives, and he killed one of them and her two sons, his two sons, because he was afraid that they were going to try to take over his kingdom. This This is the Herod about whom the Caesar, Augustus Caesar, the emperor of Rome said, it's safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his children. That's this Herod here, not a nice guy. And so he, as Matthew tells us, he hears about what's going on, and he knew enough about the Jewish scriptures, and he knew enough about what it said about a coming Messiah who's going to reign over Israel once again. He knew about that enough to know that he needed to do something from this, from, so that he might keep the so-called king from taking over his position. The story tells us that he calls the wise men there, and he manipulates them a little bit or tries to. He says, you know, I'd like to worship this baby as well. I'd like to worship this child. And so if you'd let me know, you know, when you find out where he is, I'd like to go and I'd like to worship him as well. God's having none of that, of course. And so he rescues Jesus from him. You know, the, uh, the decree that Herod issued here is one that is a fulfillment in some ways of some hints in the Old Testament. He gives this decree after he's, you know after the wise men don't come back to him and tell him what's going on, and after he realizes he's been tricked he gives this decree that all the babies under two all the little ones under two would be killed you know in this in the story here, when he gives this decree in verse six he's this Matthew helps us understand this is a fulfillment of something that happened in the Old Testament. O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler and who will shepherd my people Israel. This text back in the book of Micah that pointed ahead to this day. He said in verse 8, he issued this decree or asked them to go and tell him where the baby would be born. And they didn't tell him, of course. There's this There's this passage in the Old Testament where when Israel went into exile that the mothers cried out because their children were being killed. And, and I believe it's pretty interesting here that when Matthew tells a story here about the birth of Jesus and about what happens after it, when Herod issues this decree, that it is actually in some ways a fulfillment of this Old Testament story of how, of how mothers would be crying out for their children. That's a story that was told in a time of exile, and God rescued His people from exile. Now stay with me just for a second, because I, I want you to see this, and, and there's a reason I, I title this lesson Out of Egypt. Because I wanted you to notice here, at the end of this little paragraph, in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, Matthew tells us this, that they had departed, and the angel of the Lord said, or appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. And in verses 16 and following, he gave this decree. And this is where the quotation is given from Jeremiah, verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now what Jeremiah is doing there is he's talking, using the story of Rachel as an illustration of the kind of grief that mothers experienced when they went away into exile, and when they lost their children in exile. Now here's what I wanted you to notice. There are several themes here that Matthew is drawing together to help us read this story on a deeper level. And here it is. In the Old Testament story, Israel is often called the Son of God. I shared something about this maybe, I don't know, a month or two ago. And I hope this will change a little bit about the way you read Matthew 2 and maybe even how you read the life of Jesus entirely. In the Old Testament, Israel is called the Son of God. And Israel was taken down to Egypt. You remember that, right? In, at the end of the book of Genesis when... Through the whole situation with Jacob and his sons and the famine and Joseph, and that story about Joseph being, you know, ascending to power. And as a result of that, God saves his people by bringing them down to Egypt. Remember that? But then you got the book of Exodus. And Exodus tells us about God's people in Egypt and they're crying out for deliverance. And do you remember a story there about Pharaoh issuing this edict that all the little boys would be killed? Remember that? You see these echoes here? The little boys would be killed there in Egypt. And that's how Moses ends up being put in the little boat and rescued. You've got echoes all over the place. But God's son, Israel, is in Egypt. God sends Moses to them and rescues them from this captivity in Egypt. And the Passover happens where they kill the firstborn lamb without blemish. And they take the blood and as a result of that moment, of that sacrifice, God's people are rescued from captivity. God's son, Israel, leaves Egypt, comes up out of Egypt, crosses the Red Sea, waters on both sides, the cloud above them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, that's a baptism. They're baptized in the Red Sea and they go forth and are Delivered, you know. Where do they go after they after they leave the land of Egypt? They go into the wilderness. You remember how long they were in the wilderness? You know, forty years, right? Now you think about the life of Jesus here, as told by Matthew, especially. It's it's no coincidence. It's it's obviously this divine thing that Matthew's doing, that Matthew's seeing here. He's reading the Old Testament story of Israel in view of Jesus. Or maybe I should say, he's reading the story of Jesus. He's telling the story of Jesus in view of the Old Testament story. So what happens is, the Son of God, Jesus, is taken by Mary and Joseph down to Egypt. But when the time came, God called His Son out of Egypt. Hosea 11 is where is where Matthew's quoting from when he says, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Now, Hosea wasn't talking specifically, at least in his context, about Jesus. He was talking about Israel. And he's looking back to that time when the Son of God, Israel, was rescued out of Egypt, taken out of Egypt into the wilderness. You know, God rescued them. And Hosea also may be hinting at the time that God's son, Israel, went into exile in Babylon, another Egypt, And they cried out for deliverance, and God led them out of exile. He led them out of Babylon, rescued them. But God's perfect son, the son that Israel could never be, the son of God taken by his parents down into Egypt when he was a little child, when the appropriate time came, God rescued him brought him up out of Egypt back to the land. In Matthew 3, he is baptized. He he's becomes an adult, of course, and he is baptized by John. Immediately after the baptism of John, what, where does Jesus go? Do you remember Matthew chapter 4? He goes into the wilderness. And how long is he in the wilderness being tempted of the devil? He's there for 40 days and 40 nights, Right? And in the wilderness, he is tempted of the devil during that time, but he comes through it without succumbing to temptation. And then after Matthew 4, when he's, when he, well, Matthew 3, he's baptized. Matthew 4, he's in the wilderness. Matthew 5, he goes up on a mountain and he says, This is what the law said. But I tell you this that you notice some parallels here. God's son Israel went down into Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, baptized them in the Red Sea, led them into the wilderness. They went to Mount Sinai. God gave the law through Moses. Jesus went down into Egypt. He came up out of Egypt. He was baptized in the Jordan River. He went into the wilderness, was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, you know? Jesus did not give into temptation as Israel did, but rather he came out of the wilderness without having sinned. Do you see all these parallels here? Isn't this pretty neat? He goes up in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He goes up on a mountain, and he says, "He says this is what the law said, or this is how it's been interpreted, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you a better way to read what God did then. You see, he's the ultimate fulfillment of the Old Testament story. That's what Matthew's talking about in Matthew 2, when he says, out of Egypt have I called my son. And then he says, and this is what, this is what Jeremiah was talking about with a with Rachel and with the daughters of Israel crying for their children. This is all a part of how God is using the events of this world to bring about fulfillment, to bring about salvation, to bring about what we needed. Israel couldn't be that son. She simply couldn't be that child of God. She was imperfect and she sinned. She went into the wilderness and she rebelled against God and disobeyed Him. Jesus went into the wilderness he came out of out of Egypt. He was baptized. He went into the wilderness. And he, he came through it perfectly. So that he might give us this covenant. And so that by this covenant we might experience forgiveness. I hope it didn't. I hope that's not confusing. I hope that you can follow that story. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And when we read about the birth of Jesus, you know, a, a little bit of hesitation I have with the Christmas time is. That I don't want us just to read it, and 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 to be overwhelmed by the kind of the the sentimental aspect. I I don't I don't have a problem with sentimentalism. You know, I I think that's a good thing. I think it's it's great for us to 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 think about the birth of Jesus and to think about the nativity scene and to, you know, to to read the story and to sing the songs and all that. But but I also think it's very important, especially if I'm talking to folks, maybe some of whom. Some of some of whom maybe need to go a little bit farther with the story of Jesus, you know? So I want you, to, I want you to read the story of Jesus and recognize that this is not the end of him. Like this is this is an important part of the story of Jesus, but this is a story that's going somewhere. And so he goes from Bethlehem and he goes down to Egypt and he comes back to Judah, to Nazareth. Now, apparently he was after Bethlehem, he was raised in Nazareth, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to Jerusalem. The story of Jesus was always going to Jerusalem. The birth of Jesus is not the end of this. We we don't need to stop with baby Jesus. We don't need to stop with a manger. We don't need to stop with the shepherds and the angels and the pretty songs. We don't need to stop with the beauty, in some sense, of the birth story. You know, This is a story that's been going somewhere for a long time. And when you read it in view of the Old Testament, you'll see that just as Israel came out of Egypt and they went somewhere, Jesus had a destiny. And that destiny was a rugged cross somewhere outside of the walls of Jerusalem, Golgotha, place of skull. I think Jesus was probably toddling along in Matthew 2. I think he's probably walking by this point. Not a baby in a manger, not, not a baby like we often think of Jesus when we read Matthew 1 and 2, but rather maybe an 18-month-old little boy who's kind of wobbling along. And every one of those little faltering steps has taken him closer to Jer- Jerusalem. That's where he's going. That's the way Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story. It is always a story of Jesus from the very beginning of his life, Those toddler steps he's taking, uncertain, kind of off balance. Every one of those steps Jesus takes in Matthew 2 down to Egypt, back from Egypt to Nazareth, as a 12-year-old boy in Luke 2 to Jerusalem for, for the feast. And then from that time on, as Luke and the others tell the story of Jesus from Jerusalem, He's always going to Golgotha. That's where those steps are taking Him. See, so the clues here in Matthew 2, they're helping us to see that this is a continuation of the story of God that leads to the cross. And so everything that we do, we've just taken communion together, but everything that we do, it in some way goes back to that pivotal moment. So the birth of Jesus, a beautiful thing. I'm glad we got to get to talk about it, we sing about it, we think about it. But also want to challenge us to not forget, to not get so caught up in buying gifts and you know, letting it be about the, you know, the sentimental and the material kind of thing. but let's, let's also remember that the birth of Jesus signified the most important thing ever because this baby, this toddler goes to Golgotha when he gets grown, you know? And that's where we find there at that. Cross And there at that tomb on Sunday morning, that is where we find God's love in such a beautiful, poignant, and powerful way. He was born the God-man, the God-child, so that he might become the perfect, sinless one who would die on the cross. If you're not a Christian this morning... Um, man, I hope. I hope that maybe, when the story of Jesus is told again and again, you know, that that something will be told in such a way that God will draw you to Himself. That God will help you to see that this beautiful story of the birth of Jesus is incredible in so many ways, on a, on a deeper level. I hope you'll grasp it on a deeper level and you'll understand some of the things we've talked about this morning. This is a story that's going somewhere. It's going to the cross, you know. And God wants to invite you to the cross and to the empty tomb this morning so that you might fall down, in a sense, like these wise men did. Fall down, bring him gifts, worship him. What he wants you to do is he wants you to bring him yourself and to say, I'm not mine anymore. I want to be yours. If you're not a Christian today, we invite you to make the story of Jesus your story. To accept him as your Lord and Savior. Put him on to the waters of baptism. To follow. Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. And so we'd like to invite you to follow Jesus into the waters of baptism. And come up out of that water really understanding that Jesus is going to walk with you through the wilderness. And he's ultimately going to lead you home. Beautiful thing. We invite you to be baptized even today. Maybe you need to come back to him today because your life, you've been away from him. You know, your, your life has become something that you didn't want it to become, but it did. And you want to come back to him today and ask for the prayers of God's people here. We invite you now to, as we stand and sing.